It's time. Freddie Easter Bunny Beetle Bombs. To talk candidly. I've got a mic. Are you ready? Oh, snap. Live from Arlington, Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs, babies, and great big Bengal tigers, welcome to Candidly, a Blackstone Federal podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Elder, and with me as always on the ones and twos, making us sound good and look good, Nick Hansen. Just... Just a reminder, we're live on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud with video on the Blackstone Federal YouTube channel. If you like what we do, tell your friends and leave us a rating and review. And of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners. Tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at BTG Federal, hashtag podcast. Whether you love it or hate it, send us a question and we will debate it. Today, our guest is none other than Blackstone's own curator of culture to talk to us about the new IT contractor in the Beltway, Mr. Chris Steeman. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, I'm glad you could be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell the people who you are. Oh, my. Well, uh, thanks again for having me. This is my first podcast, by the way, so this is really exciting. Uh, I'm a senior strategist at Blackstone Federal, so I assist our consultants with tools and process improvements for our customers, which is something I've been doing for basically the last 10 years of my career. been in IT for about 20 and still going strong, and I'm having fun. Excellent. Well, I hope we have some fun today. And uh, so let's jump right into it. Uh, talking about this this concept of the new IT contractor in the, belt, in the Beltway. Tell us what you mean. What are you talking about? There? Yeah, yeah. So IT jobs in the Beltway are changing. They're, they've been steadily growing and coming into our area over the last few decades. I've seen this happen in a number of places. I've worked both in private sector and, and public as well. And there's a migration that's continuing to happen. I remember when the the uh, the Dulles corridor was getting built out, the I two seventy corridor. Tyson's has been blowing up for the last few years. In fact, I went off to the West Coast and came back, and apparently they set up a metro. It's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, the hipsters are happy. Trust me, it's great. Now we've got public transportation for everybody, which is very important, actually. So, um, what what's been happening? I think with the IT contractor is there. Um, enjoying a wealth of, of opportunity, but it's highly competitive. So um, I, I think that what you're finding is it's becoming just hyper-focused on skill sets. So subject matter expertise is huge. This increase in volume has, has opened up a lot of, of, of new professionals coming in, really changing the way that, that uh, those jobs are being fought over. And, and yeah. Involved, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So tell us a bit about who we're talking about when we say the new IT professional. So uh, we talked about this volume and this growth that's happened in the area. Uh, is there a specific um, demographic that we're talking about, or is this just about anybody in the IT space? Well, it's a younger group for sure because the IT space is moving so quickly now. Uh, the concept of the DevOps worker, I mean, you're talking about people who can integrate any kind of technology they've got experience with. I'm pretty sure a company is going to want you if you've got something. There's something for everybody, right? Are we, are we talking about the M word here, the millennials? There might be some millennials <laughs> involved. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a heavy driver of it. And and because the job market primarily has been so focused around you know the, the federal sector in D.C. for a long period of time, that might have not necessarily been the most attractive space for the millennials to, to come to. They'd, they'd go west, maybe, or something like that, or to Austin or Boston or whatever. But now that you're finding Amazon's coming in and Cap One's here, and, and there's all these other opportunities for them to get involved, that the, uh, the job market for them and the opportunities are growing. And the Fed is also starting to listen as well. You're seeing things like cyber pay, where they're starting to fix the general schedule for how this is all uh, working out for job prospects. So... It's kind of an exciting time right now, especially for the group that's uh, younger and more focused on the specific niche of their, their careers. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, as, as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of different opportunities within the IT space that, that weren't here, uh, you know, maybe a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about some of these private sector spots that are here. And, and I've even heard uh, Loudoun County referred to as the Silicon Valley of the East. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I live out there. Uh, we, we, uh, we moved out there not too long ago. And as I'm driving my daughter to her little gym to go play around with other kids, I mean, she's just looking at all the tractors that are building these monstrous you know, data centers. And uh, it's fascinating for her as, as much as it is for me. But it's kind of a reminder that this is what the new neighborhood is, the data center neighborhood. Right. You know, it's a, it's a thing. And I, I want to also think about, you know, we talked about these different opportunities that exist for the, the new IT contractor in the Beltway. What, what are the characteristics about working in the Beltway that make this kind of person unique? Mm-hmm. Well, so what's, what, what I've always found interesting is that for um, the, the earlier part of my career anyway, when I was working with some of the solutions integrators, company, larger companies uh, that were staffing large benches of people, you, you weren't necessarily so close to the mission. I remember I was on the ninth floor in a cubicle, within a cubicle, it felt like. And most of the work that I was doing, I, I would be lucky if after six months of anything I did, I, I, I got a, a nod as this got out to a customer or something like that. And I think what, what the, the, the current workforce is looking for is more intimacy with the mission. They're not buried in some cubicle somewhere and hoping that they see the light of day someday, but rather they're integrating their work into something that a customer can realize in real time. You know, we talk about CICD and, and the movement towards uh, you know, rapid deployments. And, and I think that's the expectation that the worker has right now. If they're going to spend their 8 to 9 to 12 hours a day, depending on you know, what they're, they're doing um, at their job, they want to see something for it. And, and they want to be involved in its delivery. And you talk about the mission here. And I think traditionally here in the Beltway, we think about the, the mission of a federal agency or, or something that is you know, traditionally public facing. Uh, it sounds like with some of these opportunities within the private sector that that mission can be much broader. Uh, can you tell me a little right, bit about that? Right, right. Yeah. So obviously you've got a, a, a wider marketplace where you can have smaller entities that are able to produce. I mean, heck, even individuals can be their own companies with app stores these days, right? So getting their, their product out to customers was a lot easier. In the Fed space, you don't necessarily have that luxury, but we're working on it. So um, I, I think that the, uh, the idea that they could uh, possibly take those benefits that they learn from private sector and start to help the the Fed space with that is part of the mission that they want to be in. You know, that, that, that's what would feel successful to them. And I think the Fed space wants that too. I mean, I think they, they look at private sector and say, why can't we be doing things like that? And we need to be bringing in workforce that knows how to do that. So if they've got experience doing it, let's leverage it. Uh, you know, in researching this episode, I heard this, this concept of, of the modern worker uh, that wants to do good, but also wants to do well. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is, you know, do well and that there's something satisfying and you're, you're taken care of as far as your finances and your family, uh, but also do good and that you feel like you're doing the socially responsible thing and providing yeah. some public good. Yes, yeah, statistically speaking, uh, any, any organization that has some CSR, corporate social responsibility, they're getting the nod. Like most workers, when they're balancing two jobs, they'll even take a slightly lower salary if they know that the organization they're working for is working on social programs or are involved in their communities or whatnot. That's becoming a very important aspect of the uh, the work balance. Would you say that that's something that, that's new that we probably haven't seen in, in the workspace and, and definitely the job market? Um, 
probably you know ever before is this is this something that's brand new or is this something that you feel like has been growing for a while i think it's it's probably been growing it's been lurking and and it just wasn't something that people were so focused on right i think that people compartmentalized a lot more but work life balance is now the lines are blurring and they want to the things that they would go do in their private time to help out their communities they want to also do in their work communities so more of the uh, uh, the the uh, businesses that want to attract good, high quality people are becoming more savvy about being more involved. It's not just going to be some nonprofit or um, some um, organization that's that's just based in your local community, but larger organizations are becoming smarter about how they can get to that mission. I think uh, we're finding you know some success with that with what we do here at Blackstone Federal with Hope One Source, but. Um, I think that we're, we're just one example of a number of organizations that have probably been thinking about this for a long time. Um, it's become more important for them. Um, I, I think maybe it's been a little bit more visible in recent you know, times. I think a lot of that's got to do with maybe social media and, and the ease of which com, you know, employees can either air their grievances about their companies not being you know, more uh, uh, present about those kinds of things. I'm sure that's driven the mar- the marketing messages a little bit, but I do believe it's it's been lurking in there for a while, and now we're just finding new ways to communicate it. That's that's excellent. And you know, you, you've talked a bit about here about how organizations are changing to adjust to uh, what this new federal IT contractor and this new IT contractor in the Beltway uh, is exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about who this person is. So you know, what matters to them and why. Um, you know, you sent me some ideas before before we came into the studio here. Uh, let's dive into some of those. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, so I, I think they're looking for a, a balance of of their their work life. It's it's not what we thought the office space needed to be back in after the dot com where everybody was running around uh, playing ping pong while you know their other hand was on the keyboard and they were you know writing some spiffy code. I think they want a professional uh, environment. But they want coworkers that are friends. They're spending more time with their coworkers, right? So they want to have coworkers and teams that are friendly and collaborative. And I think they also want an interactive relationship with their customer too. Gets kind of back to that original point of don't bury me in a cubicle. Give me access to people so I can communicate with them. But I think what's also happening is you're finding that people are realizing they want to work on smaller teams. So it, it, you don't want to swing the pendulum so far as to say we're just going to set up massive teams in, in these big farm systems where you know everybody's going to have to figure out how to work with everybody uh, we know that there's a limit to that that there's there's a good agile principles around uh, team sizing that's that's driven off of just the the socialization concepts that we're familiar with and i think uh with with the current workforce they, they feel comfortable working with a team that's five to nine people something small and and more more engaging i think once you start to uh, grow beyond those boundaries that they start to feel like they're not really part of the the team anymore they're part of some machine and, and they don't want that feeling. And I know that uh, a lot of agile methodologies are very near and dear to your heart. Um, this this magic number that you talk about, the five to nine team thing, uh, is this something that has started to emerge recently? Um, is this something that's grown out of the success of some of these smaller businesses that um, you know have been able to to really quickly come onto the market? That, that's a great question. Um, so I, I think it's probably a number of things. I, I think part of it has to do with. Uh, some team dynamic studies that have been published over the last probably two decades or so where the um, the idea of team efficiency has been growing. Like how, how many 
humans can you get together and act and, you know, actively have a uh, a functional session that produces something of value bezos has the two pizza rule right if it my, my meetings and, and my staff shouldn't take up more than two pizzas to feed them otherwise i got too many people in the room kind of thing and the idea around that is that that i i want to make sure that i've got relevant people working together with a cross-functional skill set so i get a good diversity of thought but i also want people that are that are um enough people such that uh, they would be able to communicate without either overstepping, but still enough to represent. So I don't, don't know exactly why the magic number seems to be somewhere between five and nine. It's probably equally as much to do with just the logistics of managing that many people as it has to do with the, the amount of positive groupthink you could get out of it. That's great. And I think, you know, the other thing that you touched on that really resonated with me was the communication, um, something that seems to be very critical uh, for the the new IT contractor in the Beltway and and really the the new IT professional, you know across across the world, is that is that communication that there are so many different channels to communicate. Um, how do you do that in a way that is productive um, without being distracting? Yeah, feedback loops, man. It's like you know one thing I learned when I was um, I, I was part of a startup company. And then I was with an organization on the West Coast that was really good about sort of finding ways to efficiently decentralize so people could work in, in small enough teams. And um, one thing that I found is that the more layers you added, the bureaucracy you put into it, the more people got frustrated. And it had just as much to do with the difficulties of getting the feedback to go back up the chain as it did even getting stuff to come back down. There's just too many points to try and, and connect, too many agendas to balance. So what we've been working on, and it's, it's something that I like to work on with our consultants, is figuring out how to cause a convergence. You don't necessarily need to expect it to always be a grassroots movement, right, where everybody is just getting behind the, uh, you know, the local tribe leaders and saying, we're going you know, to go with our pitchforks up to uh, you know, the castle and, and take care of business, let them know what we really feel. You know, it's, it, that, we don't want that. But, but, um, but having a bit of... Uh, of of investment from the shop floor is important from the workforce who's, who's, who's really um, putting in the time and effort. But then the convergence happens when leadership understands how important it is to, to have a, a, a functional relationship with that group and establishing middle management that understands that teamwork makes the dream work, baby. I mean, it can't be, it can't just be them owning their, their little slice of it and being incentivized to just do good for themselves. They have to feel like if I'm helping my other groups in middle management, you know, execute communication between the layers, that actually has the best chance for success. That's what Spotify's model is a little bit about with the way that they kind of architect their pods. So it's, it's a, you know, it seems to be proving to work. Do you think that that's an outgrowth of having that, that useful and meaningful mission that you talked about earlier that um, because everybody is working towards that same common goal that we all believe this is a worthwhile task those kinds of things happen easier or is it more about the structure of how uh, these organizations are put together actually i think what's interesting is regardless of the size it's the complexity and the achievability of the mission that usually dictates whether or not there's an opportunity for success you know it's you could have a 53-man roster on a football team and the goal is always the same win the super bowl you could have a 25 person, you know, uh, organization that spreads themselves way too thin across too many mission boundaries. And you're talking about less people here in this example that are constantly confused about what to do. Uh, So mission alignment generally for me starts with keeping the mission as focused as possible. And that allows the opportunity for the organization to figure out an idea around scale 
uh, oftentimes what seems to happen with, the, with, with these organizations is they hit their growth mode. And I've seen this happen so many times in private sector with startups is that that growth mode is exponential, right? It's an accelerator. We figured out how to lay that golden egg. We're gonna do it for everybody across every domain and it's gonna be amazing. And they run into second system syndrome issues where it just doesn't scale because the way you elegantly solved a mission in one space doesn't translate to another. In fact, it could even hurt it. So for me, I think it starts with mission focus and then uh, the ability for the organization to feel as though they completely understand why that mission's relevant which then ties back to them believing in that mission and wanting to, you know, feel that social responsibility behind it. And I think that's a great point. And, you know, I, I like how you uh, continually tie us back to the group versus the individual here, because, you know, coming into this, I, I thought we'd be focusing mostly on these are what the individuals want and we, the organization, must conform to them. And, and really, that's not, that, not the case at all. We need to have uh, that going both ways. I think that's awesome. How's it going, friends? Nick here. We interrupt your regularly scheduled programming for another Blackstone Federal Hot Jobs update. Let's get to it. We've got an opening for an Atlassian Systems Administrator, actually multiple openings for administrators. We've got an opening for a Jira admin, a Linux engineer, an Azure engineer, a proposal manager, and a capture manager. If you are any of those, go to blackstonefederal.com Go to the careers page, and then you can apply for the job directly through the careers page. Experts in the Atlassian tool suite. So we're talking Jira, we're talking Confluence, we are looking for you. If you are an expert in requirements gathering or problem solving, expert problem solvers, we want to talk to you. Also experts in cloud migration. If you have expertise or specialize in any of these areas, talk to us jobs at blackstonefederal.com or contact us through the website it's a great company supportive culture growing a lot in 2020 and beyond we want you to be a part of it talk to us back to you patrick so tell me a little bit about the kind of, of culture that the new IT contractor is looking for um, within that within that company. You know, we talked about mission. We've talked about how the organization needs to be structured. You know, what kinds of things are they looking for in that culture? You know, is it just having friends to work with? Is it the small group? You know, what, what, are, what are those kinds of things? I feel like right now a lot of people enjoy being part of a communal aspect of an organization that fits their personality but is also um, uh, high on utility. You know, so an organization that is just spending ridiculous amounts of money on sort of frivolous things is not going to attract a worker right now these days, I think. They're going to say, well, why don't you put that into a better 401k plan? Or why don't you put that into, you know, some other benefit that we could share either with our customers or ourselves or something like that? So I, I think they're, they're thinking more about uh, wanting to be uh, involved in, in that kind of connectivity with leadership in terms of how they're organizing the, the culture. I also think that they, they want to start um, experiencing different things they're seeing elsewhere that there's no good reason why we couldn't have it here. Um, you know, e each of the cities that I've been around and worked in, and I'm sure you guys have seen it too whenever you're out and about, they all have a different sort of style maybe about it. But um, sometimes people get the perception that in D.C. we've got to be pretty buttoned up and uh, we, we need to kind of act a certain way and be a certain way. And I think that's changing. I think that's going to have to change, especially if they're going to compete with the Amazons and Cap Ones of the world who are obviously going to be hyper competitive in the market. And they are going to offer those benefits of a pretty comfy place to work. Um, I, I think that that's going to be a, an important thing to focus on. 
Um, but I, I, I do think that people are becoming a little less uh, bent on the, the amenities that maybe we were used to. Like I, I want a corner office. I don't know if people care so much about that anymore versus I want to be able to have a more flexible schedule. And I want to maybe telecommute a little bit, or I want to, you know, uh, you know, work 980s or something like that. You know, th those kinds of things are concepts we've had for a while that just need to continue to, to be discussed in, as part of your kind of your corporate culture. Do you think that um, because of the advancements that we've had in IT that facilitate that stuff, that those types of things just weren't possible before? That now that that is on the table, that is what people want. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. is it something that you know they wanted all along and. It just wasn't going to happen. You know, it's funny. I just had a conversation with a couple of people about this recently, and I remember um, one of the one of the people that were talking. I think this was the um, he, he was the like head of quality assurance over at USA Today, and and he was saying that right now, so long as your video up when we expect you to, uh, what our team's like, I, if you're good, I'll hire you no matter where you are across the country. You could be in Sacramento, you know, you could be in Columbus, you could be you know in, in Peoria. It doesn't matter. Um, just be video up and their culture likes that. They like that flexibility of just being able to show up to their, you know, workstation when they want. Whereas there was another person I was talking to afterwards who said, our, our organization would just hate that. We like in-person face-to-face. We want to be able to kind of hang over by the coffee pot, you know, and, and, you know, talk about whatever, you know, walk across the street, grab some lunch, something like that. And uh, we like the detachment from our home life because it kind of creates a mental boundary. I'm in workplace. I'm in work zone. When I go home, I'm detaching. I am not in work mode. And uh, so I, I think it's kind of like, you know, choose your own adventure. You know, what do you want? And some, some places, just listen to your people. What, what does it seem like they want? I, I think you're going to probably find arguments for both. Um, so, but it's, it's probably one of those things where as, uh, you know, Video conferencing, teleconferencing has gotten a lot better. Um, and the idea is that management would be pretty good with you not necessarily having to be present, you know, all the time, nine to five, um, you know, five, you know all, all week, I think is allowing those things to happen. So you have options. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I really think that it, it certainly seems like it's trending that way, particularly in the IT space. I mean, there are some spaces where you certainly, you know, the face to face is just as important as it always was. Uh, but the you know the ability to facilitate more and more people to contribute to your organization through these different modes of communication seems to you know kind of allow this stuff to become more and more ubiquitous, more used that way. Um, from that perspective, I also wonder you know as an as an organization or as an IT contractor, you know how often are you looking outside of your organization for new opportunities because it's so easy to move and I don't have to worry about a necessarily longer commute because I can telecommute just as much as I used to. How yeah. do, you know, how does that stuff uh, You better believe it's happening, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it's just the nature of work now. And so that, that's why the idea of forming that community, that bond with your people is so important. And there's so many different forms of currency now with, with uh, you know, what attracts the IT worker to the job. So I, I, I think... I've always lived by the rule that once you have a team that's highly functioning and likes each other, do everything you can to keep them together because it's so hard to find that. They'll figure out ways to be successful. They'll grow together. Um, but people like that feeling. They don't like the feeling of having to meet new people that they may or may not like or get along with who may not align with them in the way that they like to solve problems or use technology you know, or, or however schedules work or anything like that. So I, I think that you have to expect – that given the fact that people have a lot more options and it is a job seekers market right now, 
lots of opportunities, especially in IT sectors, that uh, you, you really got to be focused on on that team happiness quotient. And if you're not, then they're 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 going to find it somewhere. Right. They'll vote with their feet. Right. Or their keyboard. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, I think that that's something that, you know, I've definitely noticed um, just just the ability to go find stuff and, and people go and find you, you know, like the recruiters have just as much access as the people that are interested in jobs now. I mean, this isn't going through the newspaper and circling stuff and, you know, beating the pavement anymore. You got people coming. Wait, wait, you. Are, are you saying that they're looking at my friendster profile? I mean, maybe uh, yeah. it could I be. gotta take that down. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I never graduated past that, by the way. I'm, you know, I'm a Luddite. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I, I do think that that's something that, um, you know, resonates with, with people, you yeah. know, that especially the, you know, this newer it contractor that is, you know, looking out there and saying, what else is available? You know, how much do we see of somebody changing between the private and public sector that we wouldn't see in the past, right. you know, that kind of thing. And, and what kinds of things, you know, in addition to building that community help, uh, that, new professional feel like this is where I want to be versus somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at, I look at a fair number of resumes and, and you're starting to see those, um, the, the period of time at their jobs, that's just dwindling, right? The jumps are happening in months, not years anymore. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I think that that has to become just sort of a, don't let that be a turnoff necessarily. There's, there could be a number of reasons why, and I always advise people when they're looking for jobs or they're just trying to get involved in the market to um, interview in maybe a different way than what you're used to. Um, if you're recruiting people to try and bring in good talent, you have to be thinking, you know, ask yourself, what would it be like to work with this person? That's an important question to ask them. Um, well, what do they see as the future of, of technology maybe or, or where things are going that would be relevant to your mission? Be honest, because sometimes what we'll do is we'll look at that and say, well, it sounded like a reasonable answer, but I don't really know. I guess I can't argue against it, so I should hire you. And that's that that that's not good enough. Um, that there needs to be a connection on on a on a level uh, that that's a, a little bit more than just I've got a reasonable amount of experience. Um, you know, so I, I think that's important in terms of of finding, but both looking for a job as well as as recruiting. And I think you got to look beyond the resume. You, you got to meet people and get to know them in terms of their experience, their personality types, their their fit. You know how well they work on a team. It kind of gets back to that too. So and that goes both ways. Um, that, you know, when 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 if so, I would recommend anybody looking for a job to interview that company just as hard as they're interviewing you. And get to know what kind of team you'd be getting involved with there. That's it's really important. Do you think that uh, some of the um, accelerated turnover that we've seen, you know, over the, the past couple of years, has has just as much to do with the idea of a fail fast mentality? Whereas, you know, I'm I'm going to go and try this, but if I don't like it, I'm not going to feel obligated to stay there. I'm going to go look for something else. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and, and from the organizational side as well. I mean, I think that could go both both ways as well. Sure, sure. I guess, and because there's so many opportunities to try new things, you're not really, you know, worried about am I going to have another job? There's probably another job out there for you. Or you're already lining up your contingencies, you know, ahead of time, I suppose. You know, it's just too easy, too many tools available, too much information available not to, I guess. Um, which, again, kind of means that, that if, if you're going to have retention of any sort, it's got to be focused around a different set of incentives than just here's your salary and, and you're going to have an opportunity to, you know, invent the next Twitter or something like that. It's got to, you're going to have to come at them from all sorts of different angles to attract them. And also expect that it is okay to um, experiment here. It, it, it's, it's all right to, to try and push some boundaries and, and get, get inclusivity going. 
If you don't feel comfortable with that or if that's not something that's been part of your organization historically, well, change. Try it because it's, the, it's, it's a good thing for you to do. It's, it's important for us all culturally, and it's, it's important for the workforce because, if anything, all that will do is set up the next generations to be better. So, you know. Do you think from the, uh, <clears throat> from the personal side, from, from the side of the, the IT contractor that may be making a lot of moves, uh, is there a downside from doing that, you know, job-to-job jump frequently? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be that double-edged sword. If you don't portray and tell the story well, it's going to hurt you. But if you have a good story and people, you know, obviously you, I wouldn't recommend anybody walk into an interview and say, yeah, that last place was horrible because now the next place is thinking, and you're going to say the same thing about us, aren't you? You know, so, but, but look, sometimes things happen and, and, you know, you've, you, you grew or the market changed or the mission changed. And if you're honest with yourself about it now, I, I never recommend anybody run from something bad. I say, walk to something good, you know, so take your time uh, and think it through and don't be so quick to just give up on a situation, you know, fight through it. It's amazing how much growth happens and how much people bond over getting past some initial struggles. And I'm telling you, I've never been on a job where I felt like I had it down in the first 90 days. I don't care what those books say. The fact is it takes a long time sometimes to get in there and, and really understand how you can make change. I would give it you know, a, a enough time that you felt like you actually got through one of those hurdles. If you feel like you haven't even accomplished one that might be a sign that you're jumping too quick. You know, you know, get, get past at least that first hurdle. Um, most of the positions that I've been in as I've been growing my career, I, I, I probably didn't feel ultra comfortable, at least enough that I, I felt my confidence level was really hitting my stride. I mean, gosh, sometimes it would take 18 months. And that's, that's, that's just building relationships and, and struggling through some problems. And, yeah, sure, you get some doubts. You know, you want to maybe kind of take a peek of what else is out there. Uh, it's worth putting the time in to try and, and, you know, solve some problems. You'll grow a lot. That's a great point. And I, you know, I also think, uh, you know, your example of, well, I've got this down pat in 90 days. Is that the reason that you're leaving? Because you're not challenged. You know, you're just, you're just not trying to find or you're not finding the thing that makes you satisfied on a personal level that makes you want to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, I mean, it, show me any person that is like, I've solved all the problems <laughs> that this company could ever have anywhere, you know, and, and I'll <laughs> show you the most you know, incredulous face I could give. It, it's, it's, uh, there's always something that you could do, you know, to improve the organization or improve yourself. It's like when I'm thinking about giving a demo to a customer or something. If all goes according to plan, we're working on an engagement to do work together. But let's say it just goes horribly wrong and it's or it just doesn't seem like a match or something like that. I'm always going to take away a lesson learned no matter what. I could have done something better. You know, I could have you know, uh, approached it from a different angle or something like that. Uh, so there's always something that you could be doing and, and, and with anything that that's a, an opportunity to grow. And, and by the way, customers and companies love that mentality, wear it on your sleeve. Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, I think, um, thinking about this, this topic as a whole, um, we've, we've touched on a lot of different ways to think about the new it contractor, you know, from an organizational perspective, from recruiting and job hunting from, from that, from that actual it contractor themselves is, is there a theme here that you think is overarching for all of those perspectives? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that what I have noticed is the, the, the success stories come from the groups or the people who have found a way 
to balance humility and will. They've got enough resolve to solve whatever problems, you know, big or small, that, that confront them. But they also have a high degree of humility. We oftentimes describe like a, a level five leader. I'm pulling from good to great now. Uh, a level five leader is somebody who has that balance. And when things go well, they're looking out the window to everybody else. It's because of them. And when things are not going so well, I'm not going to name, blame, shame and point fingers. I'm going to look at myself and say, what could I have done better? And to me, that, that seems to be the everywhere I've been uh, through, through um, every engagement I've had, each team I've worked with, the ones that are successful, the ones that are the happiest have that, that nice balance. You know, they're, they're productive, they're resolved to, to do their jobs, but at the same time, they're, they're humbled by their experience and their mission, and they're, they're, they, they never take themselves so seriously that they, they think they've got it all beat. Well, that's excellent, and I, and I love um, the, this transformation that we've had on our topic today of going from talking about something to talking to something. So that's, that's great advice for anybody, uh, particularly uh, uh, the IT professionals here in the Beltway. And uh, Chris, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of this. Um, Always a pleasure. This is this is your time. This is shameless plug time. So if you've got some stuff you want to talk about, you want to tell us a little about the Hope One Source stuff or uh, some of your projects outside of work, this is this is your time to shine. Yeah, what's, it's what's... time for a shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta well, try out my new mic, right? <laughs> Speaking of shameless plugs, <laughs> this plug is for my new mic. So I've I've got a, a, a new idea that I, I really want to promote, and it's a new mic store. How can you set up a, a, a turnkey operation for new microphone? Now? New so. microphone <laughs> pop up shop. <laughs> Downtown well, D.C. in the city center. They were selling them at Toys R Us, I guess. I don't know what happened there. So. Right next to the Tesla store. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so right now I, I am embarking on a, um, a bit of a, a, a tangent in my career. I'm focused more on training lately. That's not been something I've, I've really invested enough time in um, for people that I work with. It's always been sort of like improving you know teams or myself or something through delivery maybe and i'm i'm trying to learn more about um different ways to to communicate the need for training and education for 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 uh, the community Uh, i'm particularly interested in in methods that um, are maybe an alternative to the traditional uh training uh, styles like going off and getting your mba or something or investing in look schools are expensive um, the the amount of time it takes and the investment to even you know get that started can be daunting, uh, but there's so many different opportunities out there to to learn. One of the things that we did at Blackstone Federal that I'm I, I think has been a, a really nice success that I want to promote is we started the DC Aug. It's the uh, the DC Lassian Users Group, and even though it's it's um, based on a, a group of people that use a particular platform, the Atlassian platform. Really what it's about is the idea that we're sharing knowledge and we're trying to find ways to help people get educated in different ways. Um, and, and we do it at a WeWork down, down at Chinatown. Um, everybody, anybody is, is, is welcome. Doesn't, even though we kind of sort of gear towards a federal audience, um, it's really open for anybody. I mean, all, all knowledge is welcome and all perspectives are important to us and, and we all help each other out. And uh, so I, I really encourage people, if they're interested, we tend to have it on, I think it's the uh, the third Thursday of every month down at the WeWork in Chinatown. It starts usually around about 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, Do you have a social media handle or anything like that you want to throw out there for uh, people who might be interested? I, d- I, th- I don't know if we have posted one yet. Um, 
could probably get that and send that out somehow. It's All right, well, continue to follow us here at BTG Federal, hashtag podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, thanks again. I really appreciate you being here, and uh, thanks for giving us all this great knowledge. And, and hopefully, uh, potentially, this training is another topic uh, if we have you back on. So, folks, let us know what you think. Uh, hit us again at BTG Federal, hashtag podcast. Tell us if you love it or hate it. Send us a question, and we will debate it. I'm your host, Patrick Elder, and with me, as always, on the ones and twos is Nick Hansen. We'll see you next time. All views and opinions expressed by program participants on Candidly, a Blackstone Federal podcast, are their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of Blackstone Federal, its parent company and affiliates, partners or customers. Candidly, a Blackstone Federal podcast is written, directed and produced by Nick and Patrick with music by Matt Will and support and inspiration from their talented Blackstone Federal family members and listeners like you.